Turn in your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. It's normally my practice when I come here to preach on missions. But today the Lord led me to a passage that's not necessarily a missions passage, although there could be applications that way. It has more to do with your heart and your history of the last few years. It has to do with the future. It has to do with our country. It has to do with the reality of who we are and the sovereignty of God in choosing his, his choices for us. The passage was read, and I'm grateful for that. But I want to draw your attention back to chapter 44 and verse 26. The prophet writes this, who confirms the, world of his, the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers? Who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited? To the cities of Judah, you shall be built. And I'll raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers? Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd? He shall perform my pleasures, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built. And to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Those words were written 150-some years before Cyrus was born. 150 years. Cyrus would be chosen by God to restore Jerusalem. The story is told in the book of the Kings. But here we have Isaiah addressing that great event. In our passages for this morning, we read these words. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, his anointed, Cyrus, a pagan, wicked king. And yet he was chosen by God to accomplish a purpose. The leaders that we have were chosen by God, regardless of their condition, regardless of their status, regardless of who they are. We need to be praying for our leaders in our country, where our state politicians, our national politicians, our local politicians, our local leaders. We need to be praying for them because on the authority of God's word, I can say that they are in place because God chose them to be in that place. When you look at a passage of scripture like this in the Old Testament, it's important to remember several hermeneutical principles. Hermeneutics is the science of the interpretation of Scripture. The first principle that you need to keep in mind, any passage has one meaning. God was saying one thing with it. Secondly, you can make several applications from the same text as long as you don't make it disconnected from the context. And so we're going to try to do that. Verse 1 of chapter 45 has this interesting statement. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, loose the armor of kings, and open before him the double door so that the gates will not be shut. You may remember from the book of Daniel, Belshazzar's feast. In that feast, God wrote on the wall, Mene, mene, tekel, yufasim, which means your kingdom has been counted, found wanting and will be destroyed. And that night, Belshazzar was killed. 
Cyrus' army destroyed the city of Babylon and the Persians took over and that became the new reality. How did they do that? Well, according to Herodotus, all the streets of Babylon leading on each side to the river were secured by two-leaved brazen gates. That's what it says here. I will open the gates before the double doors. And these are providentially left open when Cyrus forces into the city in the night. Through the channel of the river, in the general disorder occasioned by the great feast, which was then celebrated otherwise, the Persians would have been shut up in the bed of the river as in a net and all destroyed. So this was, the whole city was consumed with this feast that Belshazzar was committing. And outside was, a, was a, an army. They were shut up inside the river, but the gates were opened, unbeknownst to anyone that they knew. And that amazing event took place. Herodotus records this, the gates of the palace were also imprudently opened to ascertain the occasion for the tumult. And two parties under Gobrius and Gadatus rushed in, got possession of the palace, and slew the king. That's the record from Herodotus, one of the great historians of the ancient world. So you can see the picture. Here's a, here's a great feast taking place in the palace. Armies outside, they're ignoring them. They come through double bronze gates that had not been opened, shouldn't have been opened, but they were left open for some reason. And two generals or two soldiers of renown led their forces into the temple, killed opposing armies and the king, changed the course of history, predicted 150 years before. If you were into reading fiction, you might find that this would sound like fiction. Great armies battling and strange events taking place in the city and people being killed and all the events going on. A great adventure. The Lord called Cyrus my shepherd, though he was a pagan king. When the remnant of Judah had served the appointed time in exile, then Cyrus sent them back with temple utensils and support for the people to live while they rebuilt the walls of the city. Now we come to the point of the whole message. Verse 2, addressing Cyrus, God says, I will go before you. I'll make the crooked places straight. I'll break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. We're going to consider treasures in the darkness. Babylon rested on current site near roughly Baghdad in Iran, or Iraq rather. Underneath the sands of that country are some of the richest deposits of oil and natural gas found on the earth. When God would say, I'll give you the treasures of darkness, perhaps he was remembering, or he knew actually, but he was remembering that underneath the oil, underneath the sands of that place, there were treasures in the darkness. Did the Lord know about this promise? I think so. 
Now, we need to understand what darkness is. Darkness is often used in the Bible in this particular way. It is often used to represent the opposite of the presence or at least the approval of God. It was Job who said he uncovers deep things out of darkness. Chapter 12, verse 22. God can find things in the darkness. You men who have been signed to find something in the house who couldn't find it, that's because you didn't look with women's eyes. Your wife or your daughter or your, the women in your household went looking. Here it is right here. And you looked over it four times, never even saw it. Now, you ladies can laugh. The men can kind of put their head down in a little bit of embarrassment. They can't see things that the ladies can see. In the darkness, God knows where it is. I believe there are some lessons we can learn out of the darkness as well. Do you trust the hand of God? God said that he controlled the darkness, that he built the darkness, he made the darkness, he uses the darkness. It's his possession. Allow me to appoint you a few examples of deep and wonderful things, treasures in the darkness. When troubles overtake us, we often think like Job in the passage we read earlier. Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, when by his light I walked through darkness. How many of us have said, this is a terrible day. Oh, that it would be like it used to be. Oh, that it would be like the days when the sun shone. Oh, that it would be like when my wife was there. Oh, that it would be like when my husband was there. Oh, that it would be like when this had happened and that had not happened. Every one of us has been gifted with opportunities to walk in the darkness. Every one of us has been given the challenge. I tell people that troubles come into our lives out of the gifting of God. He knows what we can, what we can stand. When my wife passed away many years ago, I didn't think I could handle it, but God knew I could. He allowed me to go through that trial. When troubles come into your life, it's because God has decided, and he knows you well enough to say that you can handle it, even though you say, I can't handle this. This is too big. This is too terrible. Terrible. This is too dark. This is too dangerous. What can I do? I'm at despair. And some people respond negatively to God's trials and testing. I tell people that trials are like pressure. And the pressure is always on your back. If your face is turned towards Christ, it'll press you closer to Christ. If your face is turned towards any other direction, it'll press you away from Christ. You need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because when the troubles come, and they will come if they have not, sorrows the like we could not imagine. Troubles and trials and darkness we cannot imagine. And they will press us to Jesus if we keep our eyes fixed on him. When God addressed Job, he made the following opening statement. This is from chapter 38, verses 18 to 20. Have you comprehended the wealth of the land, the breadth of the earth, rather, 
Tell me if you know this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? In darkness, where is its place? That you may take it to its territory, that you may know the paths to its home. Job's interaction with God began with that phrase of God speaking to him. Darkness would be part of the tools. You know the story of Job. You know that he went from happy-go-lucky, serving everything with blessings and children and riches and wealth and possessions and went to the place where he was on an ash heap, scraping the boils on his skin with the broken shards of clay. He went from bright light to great darkness. And yet at no time, at no time did he say a disparaging word about God. You and I have been challenged that same way. Whether you've been through a day of darkness or not, I don't know. But if you haven't, you will. You see, God chooses both the light and the darkness to come into our lives. We have to look harder to find the treasures in the darkness. I could give you a number of verses in the Psalms that talk about that. Daniel admitted to God that he reveals deep things and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Chapter 2, verse 22. When you're in the darkness, you don't know what's there. When you have no light, there is no way to see what will catch your toe and stumble you ahead. No way to see what will run into. No way to know what is in front of you. But God knows what's in the darkness. I had a preacher friend a long time ago. He's long since gone to glory. And he would, he would, when he was preaching, he would be always reaching with his hand. And someone said to him, Willie, why do you do that? He said, I'm reaching for Jesus' hand because I know he's beside me. Now, I don't know what you think about that kind of thing, but I know that creating in yourself an awareness of the presence of God is an important task, an important skill, an important lesson that each one of us has to learn. From the youngest to the oldest, we all have to continually learn the lesson that he is as close as my hand. And there is nothing in the darkness that he does not see. Let's look at a couple of examples how the Lord can use the darkness to provide a great treasure for you and me. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, please. Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth under Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to deliver it. She brought forth the firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In that passage, you read about a sad couple. Sad couple because they had to go get taxed. Nobody likes to get taxed. Sad couple because she was very pregnant, very pregnant. Those of you who are moms, you remember what it was that last few weeks before the delivery of, 
of little sunshine that came into your life. You thought, will this ever end? How can I stand this? I'm t- it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too something, I feel miserable. And she was walking from Galilee all the way to Bethlehem. In those last days, you ladies can maybe remember what it would have been like. She may have ridden on the back of a donkey. That's what the pictures show her. I can't imagine that would have been any better than walking. But I don't, I don't know. I've never ridden on a donkey and I've never been pregnant. But so, but I understand enough about it to know that those of you who have been, that would have been a miserable, miserable time. And nestled in the darkness of her womb was a baby. They got to, to Jerusalem, or got to Bethlehem rather, they went to the inn, and there was no room in the inn. They were put in a stable, and I can assure you that the electricity was not on then. And so the stable was a dark, gloomy, dingy place. And there, in the darkness, in the dinginess, in the trouble and trial of all that she had been through, she brought forth her firstborn son. Jesus, born to Mary in a stable. Can you tell me that that wasn't a treasure in the darkness? And there in the darkness, God brought great treasure. My friends, when you take a look at your life, if you're careful and you look around in the darkness that engulfs you. Maybe even this moment, maybe even this day, you heard a diagnosis of cancer on Friday. I don't know. You heard of a family member who was diagnosed. You heard of a, an event in your own life. Something happened. You had a financial loss. You had a, oh, an accident. I don't know what's happened. Darkness may be new in your life this day, or you may be suffering a darkness that has been with you for weeks, maybe months. Reach out your hand and look for the treasure. He will guide you to the treasure that's there. And I can assure you that there is. Listen carefully. It was a dark day for them as the contractions began and there was no room in the inn. Matthew recorded these words and comment on that event. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. So you see that God was telling the people of Israel at that time, he prophesied that from a long time before actually, he said, light has dawned. Is Jesus in your life? If not, only Jesus can give you light in the darkness because he controls the darkness and the light. And he can bring that to your heart and life. This quote from Isaiah 42, verse 7, reveals that even in the darkness of the troubles, there's great treasure in the morning darkness. Turn your Bibles over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and we're reading from verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. 
Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. There in the darkness, she found the empty tomb. And there in the darkness, she became even more afraid. But you know what had happened, don't you? You remember what happened at that morning? Jesus was alive. He had arisen. The resurrection had taken place, and he was no longer entombed in stone. He was alive. And in a few minutes, Mary Magdalene and the others would discover that, and the disciples, and they would know that Jesus was alive. There was a treasure in the darkness. My friends, in Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 45, the Bible says that there was darkness over all the earth. That was during the crucifixion. Let me take you into the mind of those disciples. As the darkness descended over the city of Jerusalem, the temple veil was rent from top to bottom. Much symbolism there, of course. We won't go into that. But my friends, even though the sun rose again for the disciples, it was as if it had not risen at all. They were still in the darkness. Only the resurrection tore the veil of darkness away from them. Only the resurrection opened up their light. Only the resurrection solved the dilemma of their lives. My friends, those pictures from Scripture give us lessons. We can learn from these lessons. For one thing, we must remind ourselves that most of the 141 references to darkness in the Bible are referring to the consequences and condition of being without God and faith in this present evil world. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Darkness is almost always connected in the scriptures with evil. And you may ask yourself, how can out of evil treasures come? How can out of evil can goodness come? How can out of evil things happen that are a blessing to me. Only God can do that. Therefore, the first question that must be answered is, how does one get from darkness into light? Jesus would say this, John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. My friend, if you have not come to Jesus... Today is the day. There is no better day. The darkness is not going to get lighter. It's not going to change. Only Jesus can cast away the darkness and bring out light in your life. You need to turn to him. We have been commissioned with a task just like Paul's. In Acts 26, verse 18, Jesus defined the message that was to be taken to the people of the world and the goal of that proclamation. He said this, to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of the Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There's the missionary message, by the way. 
We've been commissioned with a task. I use an illustration about Jeeps. And I don't have a Jeep, don't drive a Jeep, have never driven a Jeep as far as I'm aware. Yes, I did. I did drive a Jeep one time. You can have a Jeep and you can have a trailer hitch on that Jeep. And that trailer hitch, you can pull a caravan, you can pull a trailer, you can put your bicycle rack on it, you can do all kinds of things. But it's just a bolt-on. Jeeps don't normally come with trailer hitches. You have to put it on extra. But if you have a Jeep and it, and it motivates, it moves, it's because it has an engine. Missions is not a bolt-on that you have that can be taken off and just added on for whatever you want. Missions is the engine that drives the church, just like that Jeep. And my friends, you need to understand that the, the task that we have been set is to take light to the darkness, the gospel to the lost. There's a second, second understanding of darkness, not just salvation, but also found in Colossians. This is what he records, the apostle. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his life, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. My friends, <laughs> if you are a believer, you have been delivered from the power of darkness. Darkness has no more control over you. You do not need to be afraid in the darkness. You do not need to worry. You can reach out and find him present wherever you may be because he is present in the darkness. He creates the darkness. He allows it. He chooses it. He allows it to come into your lives. That's Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, by the way. In closing, let me say these things. We are not to walk in the darkness. We are not to walk in the darkness. We are to walk in holiness. We are not to wallow in the darkness. We have been called to joy unspeakable and full of glory. We have been called to a joyous life regardless of the condition of the circumstances around us. We are not to whimper in the darkness. We've been called to boldness. You and I have been called to proclaim the gospel boldly, clearly, confidently, and consistently in our homes, in our workplace, in our schools, in the places we interact with other people. Wherever we are, we are, to call, we are called upon to share the gospel boldly. We are not to worry in the darkness. Do you worry? Well, I worry about a lot of things. Maybe you do as well. We're called not to worry because the darkness creeps in. It begins to depress us. It begins to press down on us. It begins to push us in. Instead, we are called to faith, to trust God in the darkness. And lastly, we are not to wither in the darkness. If you have geraniums and you put them in a dark closet, eventually they will wither and die. If you put them in the light, they'll flourish. 
You and I are called not to wither in the darkness, but to bear fruit. Are you bearing fruit today? Are you bearing fruit this afternoon? Are you bearing fruit tomorrow? Are you bearing fruit for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Darkness is not to consume you. Darkness is to be providing you an opportunity to see the hand of God at work in your life. My friends, there are treasures in the darkness. As I thought about this message, I thought about this church. You've gone through some dark times. You've had some difficult things take place with your pastors. You've had some difficult things take place. You've been a year or more without a pastor. You have had struggles. I remember the day I heard the news of Pastor Ryle who had fallen here in this congregation. This church has gone through some dark days. But my friends, there are treasures in the darkness. There are treasures to discover the work of God in our hearts, in our lives, and in your life. And you need to be confident that no matter what darkness takes place, no matter what trouble comes into your life, no matter what trial comes into your life, that God has a treasure for you there in that darkness. As we have the communion in a few moments, it commemorates the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It commemorates the terrible darkness that the world inflicted upon God, so to speak. But he demonstrated that he is more powerful than any darkness. There is no darkness in your life that God is not able to overcome. There is no darkness in your life that God cannot find you a treasure in it. You just have to be saying, Lord, guide me, lead me to the place that is higher than I. May you be blessed. May you be encouraged. Let's bow in prayer. God in heaven, God of darkness and God of light, we bow in your presence because we realize that you control the light and the darkness. Father, give us eyes to see ears to hear, hands to feel the treasures in the darkness. May your blessing rest upon this congregation as they move forward. May you be glorified in their midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.